Christians have an image problem. It's a basic thesis of, of a, a book that I had to read in seminary a, a long time ago. It's basically, there was been a there been a survey of of Americans ages 16 to 29, and and they did not. Uh, they saw all kinds of problems in the in the church. They saw all kinds of reasons not to be attracted uh, to church. They uh, they saw that they're 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 basically that move from hey outsiders, the Americans, uh, especially in this certain age group, uh, don't don't like church very much, and therefore uh, we, we need to change. The, the church need, needs to change. You know, there, there may indeed be reasons to why the church needs to change, but that's not the reason why. That's not the reason why. I, I think... I, that, that book was written in 2007, but there's another book that comes out every couple of years that says basically the same thing. Uh, like uh, the people, people on the outside don't like church, therefore church needs to change so that it can be more appealing, uh, so that people will, will love it more. You'll, you'll look less foolish. We need Christians to work hard to look less foolish to the world so that they will come to our churches. That's not the reason why we need to change. We, we probably need to grow. We need to mature. We need to change. But we really only have one person that we're trying to please. One person that we are trying to impress. One pers- person who, uh, before whom we want a commendation, whose, whose praise we desire. We want to hear from him, well done, my good and faithful servant. What I hope you'll see today is that, that the one person we need to please is God. We need to seek his pleasure. We need to seek him. His pr- approval is the one that matters. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. And I start with verse 18. We'll, we'll look at the, the last paragraph of, of chapter 3 and the first paragraph of, of chapter 4 uh, plus one verse. Plus one verse. So we'll be 318 through 4, 6. And what I want you to see first is that the church belongs to Christ. The church belongs to Christ. Read verses 18 through 23 with me. It says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. First command there is given in verse 18. It says, let no one deceive himself. You know why he says that, right? Because it's possible that we could deceive ourselves. That there could be some in the church who are thinking of themselves as wise when really they're not wise. They're not wise in the only wisdom that really matters. So he says, let no one deceive himself. Instead, if, if anyone thinks that he is wise, that is, that is, if anyone thinks uh, among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. The point he's trying to make is that you really, you, you really only get to choose to impress one person. You either get to choose to impress the world or you get to choose to impress God. But they don't go together. You only get to choose one. You can only either impress the world or impress God. Now, if you you impress the world, 
well, you you very possibly could receive uh, for a season for for even maybe the rest of your entire life success and applause and 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 good standing. You might be a very respectable person in the world if you choose to impress the world that might be the way that you look and you know what uh, the plain fact is that, that there are many who who go by the name of christian who are very much living that way and they very much have the applause of the world and they have the respect of the world but they do not have the applause they do not have the commendation do they not have the praise of god 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 praises something very different if you choose if you choose the commendation if you choose the praise of god then you you very likely in this world will be marginalized, even persecuted. You will be disrespected. But you have to choose. Now, what is, what is it that God sees as so foolish? This is, is the foolishness of the world. The foolishness of the world is this desire to be, to be seen for human achievement. It is, this, it is this basing your life on human achievement, human works, human wisdom. And if you do that, if you boast in yourself, if you boast in human works, if you work that way, that's what you will receive. But what is, what is, what is it that God really sees as wisdom? It is the wisdom is not a what, it is simply a who. It is Christ. So if you choose the wisdom of God, then you choose Christ. You choose to embrace him for all that he is. He has become for us the wisdom from God. The way that Paul says it in, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he is the wisdom from God, our righteousness. That is, he is the one by which we are, by the way that we are counted right before God. God sees us as righteous in Jesus Christ. He sees us as sanctified in Jesus Christ. We have been set apart as God's holy ones, as God's saints, as those who are, who are God's special possession. He has become for us our redemption. He is the one who has paid for our debts. That will appear to be foolishness before the world. You know what? You ought to stop caring about what the world thinks. You ought to stop caring about what what the, what the world perceives or what the world says is foolish, you ought to care about what God says is foolish and what God says is wise. And God says only Christ is the wisdom of God that you need. And you know what? This is not new. This is basic. Because look at what Paul says. In the middle of verse 19, he says, For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. Job 5.13 and again, verse 20, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. That's uh, Psalm 94, 11. He says, this is, this is not new. This is basic. This is, this is the whole Bible. Those of you who, who are in the church thinking that you can uh, earn respect before the world, that you will appear uh, good before the world, and that you will still be approved by God, I hope that you know that this is the way that God sees the crafty of the world. The, the crafty think that they are getting over on God. They think that they are moving away from God. They think that they are, are in some way uh, avoiding God's sight, avoiding God's judgment. But in the end, God always catches them. Or when he quotes Psalm 94, 11, the sense is, is that there are, there are those who, who, who are wise. They think that they are getting ahead. They think that they are succeeding. They think that they are achieving. When in fact, everything that they are doing is, is futile. It is powerless. It is ineffective. God is bringing to nothing everything that is. Everything that is in this world, that belongs to this world, all of the success of this world, all of those things that, that men boast in in this world, all of the pride of this world is being brought to nothing. He is coming down to our little towers and he is, he is scattering 
God's, uh, God, the, the people who have risen up in pride against him. Those who are, who are trying to make a name for themselves, he is making a name for himself. And only one of them gets to have a name. In the end, it will be God. And so what we do is we ought to know that there is, there is, only, there is only God that we have to seek the approval of. Only seek God's approval. Stop trying to, stop deceiving yourself. And I think the deception is this. We can be approved by the world and approved by God. I can't, I, I, I can't, it, it is hard for me to, to even see how, how much, how, how many Christians are seeking both. When you can't have both. I want you to embrace the foolishness of the cross. Embrace Jesus Christ for your sins. He died on the cross, being humiliated, being mocked. And yet he stayed there on the cross to save others, to save those who would trust in him. So embrace him, trust in Christ, turn from your sin and know him. And look at the conclusion, the, the point that Paul makes in verse 21. He says, so let no one boast in men. Don't boast in men. These are just men. These are, even these, though these, these men that he's talking about there, he's talking about the divisions that they are making over, over Paul and Apollos and over Peter and, and, and dividing into these different groups, thinking that they belong to these different groups. Uh, they, they are doing this. These are, these are holy men. These are good men. These are faithful servants. And yet they are approaching them in a worldly way. And he's saying that, that no one boasts in these men. These, these men are not the ones who saved you. you have, your salvation is from God through Jesus Christ. That is the only way that you're saved. Look at what he says. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's, that is Peter. Think of, think of the way that they were thinking. They were thinking that they had some superiority to other Christians in the church or that they were dividing. They thought that they, they belonged to, they were, they were like Paul groupies. And then some of them were Apollos groupies, and then some of them were Peter groupies, and some of them said, "Hey, I don't have any human teacher. I'm a, I'm a I'm a Christ groupie. I, I don't I don't I don't respect anybody who tries to teach me God's word. I, I I'm centered around I'm centered. Around, we're we're better than everybody else because I'm I belong to this group." Paul says, "What what are you thinking? You you don't belong to me." That's one of the reasons why he said in, in chapter one, he says, I, didn't, I am so glad that I didn't baptize more people because God didn't send me to baptize. He didn't win. He didn't call me to get a following for myself to get people into the Paul club. You don't belong to me. In fact, he reverses it. He says, Paul and Apollos and Cephas are yours. All things are yours. What he's saying is, is that all these teachers, they are not, they're not in competition to one another. Every faithful teacher, every faithful preacher of God's word, they are not in competition with one another. Instead, they are gifts given to the church by God. They, but they belong to the church for the building up of the church into maturity. You've got it all wrong. How could you say that you belong to Paul when Paul actually belongs to you? How could you say you belong to Apollos when Apollos belongs to you? God gave them to you to build you up, but don't try and choose between them. Don't, don't divide yourselves. Instead, you belong to, you belong to Christ. 
I'm getting ahead of myself. He says there, the next thing he says, not only these teachers. Well, let's take it, let's take it, let's take it up a level. He says, the world, the world is yours. Why, why are you trying to please the world when the world is already yours? That's, that's what, what Paul says in, in some place like Romans 4.13. He says that, that the promise, the fulfillment of the land promise to Abraham is the entire world. It is the whole world. He even says later on in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that you will judge the world as if that were common knowledge? So, so why are you seeking the approval of the world when, when the world has already been granted to you? Listen, all of the paperwork on our inheritance of the world has already been signed. It was signed at the cross when, when the, the penalty of our debt was nailed to the cross. It was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. He took our penalty that sealed our inheritance of the world. Though it is now hidden in Christ and though it does not now appear before the world, it will one day appear and at that day on the return at the return of Jesus Christ, it will be clear that we are heirs of the world. He says not only of the world but of the present and of the future, that is all the things that are happening in the present. All these things are working for your good. All of the sorrow, all of the joy, all things are working for your good in the present and they are working for your future joy. All things are yours. Not only a location, but all of time. Everything, everything that God is doing, he is working it out for your benefit, for your good. So all those times that, so say the, the, uh, the preacher in, in Ecclesiastes talks about, he talks about uh, uh, there's a time for sowing and a time for reaping. There's a time for mourning and a time for dancing. All of these times, all those times, they're for you. I mean, it seem like they're for you. The hardships that we face, the difficulties, the loss, the mourning. But God is working all things for you, for your good. And he says at the end, all are yours and you are Christ. And Christ is God's. Yeah, the, the, way that you, the way that you are brought into the presence of God is by belonging to Christ. There are a dozen metaphors for how the Bible talks about this. Where, there, where there's Christ as our mediator, Christ as our high priest, Christ as our king, Christ as the second Adam, Christ as, uh, Christ as, uh, Christ as our husband. The point is, you as the church, those of you who believe in Jesus Christ, you belong to Jesus Christ. And when Christ brings himself through his righteousness into the presence of God, he says, they're with me. No, 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 no. They, you would normally be able to get to come in, but you belong to Christ. He, he brings you. You have him as your representative. You have him as your, as your husband. You have him as your head. He is the one who brings you in to the presence of God. And so now that all things are Christ, that is the reason why all things are yours. You belong to Christ. He is the firstborn. He is the, the preeminent one. And now all things belong to you through him. And so what do we boast in? How could we boast in the world? How could we boast in human achievement when all that is is Christ and we are Christ? We are heirs with him. We belong to him. 
And in every way, God is for us through Jesus Christ. Uh, we've seen there how, how the church belongs to, uh, to Christ. Next, what I want you to see is that uh, the ministers are accountable to Christ. So look there in, in verses 1 through 5. He says, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Verse 1 says, so, so if, these, if these servants, if Paul, Apollos, and, and Peter, they all belong to the church, now, now Paul says, so, so this is the manner, this is the way that you ought to regard us. Not, not as someone that you belong to, not as rock stars that you belong in our, uh, in our little cohort. You're not a part of our fan club. Instead, as servants of Christ. Now the word that's translated servants there, that's not a typical word. For, to be translated servants. It's a little bit different. Uh, but the idea there is basically that uh, almost of being Christ's assistants, like his interns, like, like we, are, we, are, we are Christ's helpers. We are working us alongside uh, Christ. We, we, are, we are those he sent us to do some jobs. We're, we're doing his little jobs. That's who we are. And then he talks about the stewards of the mysteries. We've talked about the mysteries before. These, these are the mysteries uh, only partially understood in the Old Testament, but now made clear through Jesus Christ that, that they are things revealed by the apostles and the prophets to, to the church so that we might know salvation, so that we might know the truth. He says, you should regard us as, as Christ's servants or, or as, his, as his assistants and as those who are stewards. The idea of stewardship there is God is the one who owns them. These are, these are God's mysteries. They have been entrusted to us. That we would, we, we would carry out our duties, that we would deliver them to you appropriately. Okay, he, he bought the, God bought the food. He stopped the pantry. He gave us, he gave us the kitchen. And now we are stewards to make sure that everybody in the house gets fed. That's what God is. That's, that is how you ought to think of those who are uh, all the way from the law and the prophets, from Moses to the, uh, to the prophets of Israel, to the apostles and the prophets, to, to those who, who now teach faithfully in accordance with God's word today. That is how you ought to regard them as those who are, who are stewards. We didn't come up with it. They didn't, they didn't stock the pantry. They didn't, they didn't get all these things together. They are only those who have been entrusted with them to give them. Now then, look at what he says. What is the most, what is the most important characteristic, what is the most important quality for a steward? It is faithfulness. Do what the master told you to do. He says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That's the most important quality. Now then, look at what he does. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I remember when I was, when I was younger, 
uh, seeing this famous comedian. He was on this big uh, comedy show, and, and, and he said it in a, a more profane, colorful way. But he said, he got up, the first thing he said, he said, I, I'm not afraid of y'all. I don't care what y'all think of me. That, in a sense, in a very, uh, that's, the way that, that's the way that I think Paul is putting out there. I, I'm not worried about what you think. I'm not worried about what you think of me as a preacher. You recognize that, uh, that and this, ought to, this sometimes comes as a comfort to, uh, to uh, preachers who, who aren't very good, but, but you know, people didn't think highly of Paul. They thought Paul was not that great. Paul's not a good preacher, man. He's boring, and he's kind of ugly, and, and, and he, he, he's, he writes in these powerful ways, but when he actually is speaking, he's just not that great. And Paul says, I don't care what you think about me. I, I'm sorry, wait, I, thought, I think you thought I cared, but I don't care. I don't care. And he says, not only do I not care, but I don't care about being judged by any human court. I don't care what you think about me, much less do I care what outsiders might think of me. That is, there, there were some in the church, they liked some speakers on the outside better than Paul. They liked some other Christian preachers better than Paul. But Paul says, I don't care what you inside the church think about me. I don't care what those outside the church think about me. It's even interesting that, that uh, the, where it's translated there, human court, it's actually the word that is typically translated day. And I think Paul is making a play on words like, I don't care about the human day of judgment. I care about God's day of judgment. But he's not done yet. He says, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, Paul preached with a clear conscience. And you know what? I think that is part of the blessing of being a faithful preacher is that you get to preach with a clear conscience. There, there, is, there is nothing that is worth trading for a, a clear conscience. It is good to have a clear conscience. And so Paul is saying, like, I don't have anything against myself, and yet I am not in the role of judge. You know, as a kid, I, I used to do the little jobs for my parents. You know, they would give me a little chore to do, sweep the front porch, mow the grass. Uh, and then, especially if it was the first time that I'd ever done it, I would go and I would do it. And, and then it would look good to me. But I wasn't the final authority. I, was, I would go and get my parents, I would go and get my mom and say, is this, is this, is this good enough? Can I go play now? Is this, is this okay? I thought it was good enough, but it didn't matter that I thought it was good enough. It mattered that, that my mom thought it was good enough. Now, what I'm saying here is I don't think that Paul was expecting at the end of his life that Christ was going to go, you know, you really didn't do good enough. But what he is saying is that I, I am not in the position to judge myself. I'm not in the, this is not from me. These are not my mysteries. These are not my teachings. This is what was revealed to me, but this comes from God. This is the gospel of God. This is not man's gospel. This is not, this is not, I did not wander out into the desert and then come up with it. I did not go into a cave and find some golden tablets. This is, this is not, this is not from me. This is not, this is not something I conjured up. This is from God. And ultimately Christ is the, going to be the one who judges me. He is the one who has to put his seal of approval on my work. He's talking about there of not being acquitted. What he means there, he's not talking about, I think he's talking about in terms of ministerial service, not in terms of being justified before God. Part of the reason why he has a clear conscience is because he has the righteousness of Christ. But what he's talking about there is, I am not the one who gives the commendation. I can't commend myself. 
Only Christ can commend me. And I think in every way he expects that. Not in a presumptuous way, but as one who is faithfully doing God's work. But the point of it all is that at the end of the day, the minister, the faithful minister, the faithful steward of God's word is not is not accountable to to please people. You know, you can see how it could be misunderstood. In the in the first in the first part that we looked at, we saw how he says, Well, well, you don't belong to us, but we belong to you. Well, you might get a misunderstanding and think, Oh, well, he ought to be doing what I want him to do. But that would be wrong. The faithful pastor, the faithful preacher, the faithful minister of God's word only cares about pleasing one person, and that is the Lord. Paul even says, Galatians 1.10, uh, am, I, am I trying to please men? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. His point is, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm not trying to please anybody except for Jesus Christ. Now that he says there, that the last, last verse he says, first, verse 5, he says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each will receive his commendation from God. I think this is a kind of sideways warning against those who are, who are promoting themselves as the wise in the congregation in Corinth. He says, look, you know, you know what's going to happen? Don't pronounce judgment on me before the time. Christ is going to pronounce judgment when he returns. But he is the one who is really fit to pronounce judgment because he knows what no other human judge could know. He knows he knows even those things that are hidden in darkness. He's going to bring them out into the light and he will disclose the purposes of the heart. He's going to he's going to bring out people's motivations. Flip over in your Bible to Matthew seven. Matthew seven verses twenty one through twenty three. This is where Jesus is talking about false prophets. And I think this is what Paul is building off of. This is, this is, the, this is the sideways warning against those in Corinth who, who are promoting themselves. They are, they are basing their teaching. They are winning a following with their human wisdom. This is, this is what he's trying to say to them. You know, Jesus is going to come back and he's, gonna, he's going to give a, a, a pronounce a judgment. And for some of you who are doing things in the dark, who have hidden, hidden purposes, hidden motives that are, that, are, that are evil, that are wicked, this is what's going to happen. Verse 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What about those preachers and teachers who are really preaching and teaching the teachings of men? Who are, who are basing their, their ministry on, on human boasting, on human wisdom? What is going to be the pronouncement of Jesus Christ on that day for them? It is going to be this. I never knew you. Look at the incredible things that these 
prophets did. We prophesied in your name. We, we used Jesus' name. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Let's not forget that Judas cast out demons. And on the final day, they did not receive, they will not receive the approval of God because of their unfaithfulness to the words of Jesus Christ. What does Paul expect himself to hear? Flip over to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 23. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, Paul's trying to say to those who are, remember he says, let no one deceive himself. Let those who think that they are wise become foolish that they, uh, because the wisdom of this world is folly to God. These ways that you are drawing a following for yourself or promoting yourself or, or putting yourself as superior to others in the church, uh, these ways that you are, you are gaining a following, these things that, ways that you are, you are mixing human wisdom with God's wisdom and even, even taking human wisdom and saying that it's God's wisdom, Saying that you are spiritual, that you are higher, that you are mature. When it's really just what men think, what men have come up with. He says on the day that Jesus Christ returns, then he will disclose all things. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. The faithful steward, the faithful, the faithful one will, will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, I, I want you to think about all these ways that, that I, I feel like as, a, as someone who preaches and teaches, like I've learned so much from, uh, from, these, from these chapters. What I hope is, is that, that through this, maybe now, maybe in the future, God is stirring up men who are also being compelled by God to, to be these kinds of stewards, to be those who are, who are preachers and teachers, faithful stewards of God's word. This is, this is what you need to know before you ever do that. If you aspire to be an elder, an overseer, a pastor, a preacher, that's a noble task. That's a good thing. You have to be prepared to be faithful to only one person, and that is to Christ. You must be prepared to appear foolish before everybody else. Certainly those who are in the world, sometimes even those in the church. You must fear no one except the Lord. And so if God's calling you to that, if God is compelling you to that, if God is working in you that, praise God. May it happen more and more. But be faithful. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to Christ. Be faithful to the Lord. There's one last verse that I want to look at. I want us to see that we ought not, uh, we ought not be conceited toward one another. Look at verse 6. It says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. 
verses six and seven act as a kind of transition to the to the next uh, to the next uh, uh, next few verses there, which we'll look at, uh, which we'll hear next week. But look what he says. I've applied all these things, all these things that he's been talking about. I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos. It is always helpful uh, for for pastors and preachers and teachers of God's word to say, I'm only a man. That is the, that is the way that, that they can help other people to recognize that they ought not be boasting in men. They ought to be boasting in the Lord. But he says, I've applied all these things to, to me and Apollos for your benefit. You know, because it is a lot about those who preach and teach God's word. It is a lot about ministers but he says, this is for your benefit, two reasons, so that you may learn not to go beyond what is written. What's he talking about? What is it, what is it that's written? It's the scriptures. Now he's, he's just been quoting Job 5.13. He's just been quoting Psalm 94.11. I think the place that, that the scripture that is most important throughout this entire section that he's quoted is, is Jeremiah 9.23 and 24. He kind of shortens it down and says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is, this is not new. This is the reason why, in some ways, he had to correct them and even, even speak to them in a, in a kind of, almost a condescending way. Like, like, you think that you're so mature, but you're really just babies, you're infants. Because you don't even know the basics. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do not go beyond what is written. This is not new. This is, this is the scriptures. So stop boasting in men. Stop, stop thinking about men. Stop thinking in terms of human wisdom. Stop thinking, oh, oh, this, this man is so clever. He tells me, he tells me things that, that man, I, I could never see that in the, in the Bible for myself. Sometimes I always feel like if somebody tells me that after the sermon, I feel like, I feel like I, I failed actually. Because what I, what I want you to do is see, maybe what you will say is, oh, I never saw that before, but, but. I should have. That's that's kind of man. It's certainly there. I, I want you. To, th- this is while while those who preach and teach are stewards of God's word. You also are stewards of God's word. You are called just like the Bereans to test what is heard. And you test it according to the scriptures. So so this is don't go beyond the scriptures. If there's a summation, if there's a reason why why I, I really why. We wanted to go through the book of 1 Corinthians. It was to learn, do not go beyond what is written. Our church needs to learn not to go beyond what is written, but to only to abide here, to rest here, to know what God's word says, and to never go beyond it. And certainly not to boast in men. The other purpose there, he says, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. This could be two ways. It's probably both ways. It could be that some are thinking of themselves as more wise, more mature, as, as sort of uh, there, there are some second-class Christians down here, but we're kind of varsity Christians, and, and we have a superior knowledge. We have, we have a, a superior access to God that other Christians don't have. We have this secret teaching that, that God has given to us. And they are puffing themselves up. They are conceited over against one another. That's the main point that Paul is trying to break down. From the very beginning, he says, I-, I hear that there are divisions among you. When in fact, there should be nothing but agreement. You should be saying the same thing. You should be agreeing in Jesus Christ, boasting in nothing but Christ alone. 
And so, brothers, let's, let's end there. Let's end with this understanding that let, let none of us be deceived. Let none of us think of ourselves as wiser than we are. But instead, let us boast in Jesus Christ and let us know what men are. Faithful men, we appreciate them, but they are still just men. Let us not boast in human achievement, human power, human strength, human works, human wisdom. Instead, let us boast in the Lord our God, Jesus Christ. Father, uh, thank you for, for working in us and pulling us away from our reliance upon human wisdom, on our own, on our own wisdom or on the, the teaching of any other man-made man-made structure, man-made pride. Help us to boast in only Jesus Christ, to rest on Him, to trust in Him, to even be willing to found foolish for His sake, to even rejoice because that is how the prophets were treated who went before us. to know that ours is the kingdom because we have been found foolish before the world. We have been crucified to the world so that we might be found in Christ. Let us belong to Christ. Let us know that we ought to belong to Christ. Let us, uh, let us regard people and men in the way that we ought to. Keep us from deception. Keep us from the lies of the evil one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.